Good morning, church. How are we today? For those of you who may not know me, my name is Ben. I get to be the pastor here. And let me invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Last week we jumped into the beginning of the book where we looked at the fact that we are far richer than we can fully imagine. Do you believe that to be true this morning? He's been good to us. The text tells us that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And as you recall, we discussed a very easy topic to understand, election, right? <laughs> a topic we must approach with humility and also with the understanding that it is not something that we can fully wrap our minds around because we have finite minds. God chose us before the foundation of the world. He didn't do it by foreseeing anything about us. It wasn't anything good or bad that he saw. It was strictly by his grace. Not only that, but he is changing us. We, we have been declared through Christ to be holy and blameless. That is our standing before him. He has declared us to be that. Nothing we did deserved to be called holy and blameless, and yet that is what God considers us. Still, even in that, there is a call to pursue holiness and to live life without blame to the best of our ability. We, we are called to live out of our identity in Christ. To be holy means to be separate, to be separated, to be different from the world. It's a, it's a call to fight against sin. But remember, we don't live holy and blameless lives to earn anything from God. We strive to do so because we already are considered to be holy and blameless. Still, God is continually making us more and more like his son, Jesus, until he returns. And another truth that we discussed in light of our salvation is that for those who have genuinely repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ, he now calls you legitimate sons and daughters. He has adopted us into his family. Once we were not a people of God, now we are his people. Once we had no father, and now we have a heavenly father. We are far richer than we can fully imagine. And here's the good news this morning. As we continue in the book of Ephesians, there are more and more riches to be seen and to be understood. So let's look at Ephesians 1. Follow with me as I start reading in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ 
might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for voices that you've given us, that we can lift high the name of Jesus through song. Father, you are are worthy of it. You are worthy of getting up on a snowy Sunday morning to come and gather with your people. You're worthy to live all of our days for the sake of your name. And Lord, you're not just worthy because of your title, you're worthy because of who you are, your character, what you've done for us. And so this, this morning, God, remind us once again of our identity in you. Take our eyes off of ourselves that, that we would not be sidetracked by the pains of life, but rather we would just take some time to turn our attention off of ourselves, take our eyes off of our own person and look to you and God that you would rekindle our love for you Lord for those who may come in here weary and heavy laden may they find rest in you God you have done great things you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing and so Lord remind us of that and lead us to worship you even more it's in Jesus name we pray amen well as we continue to work our way through the book, I want to remind us why the first three chapters of Ephesians are so important. You know, I, I know for many of you here, you're, you're doers. You like to get things done. You, you want to do something. Reflection is for lazy people. <laughs> we can't just sit back and take it easy. Give me a list and I'll be on my way. Thank you very much. Let's be honest. How many of you here are doers? Raise your hand. I know you're in here. This is why we have Ephesians 1 through 3. It's for you. It's your fault why we have to go through this. No. Uh, we need to be reminded. Right? Our temptation as humans, really, from time to time, is to, I gotta do something now. I gotta make it right. I gotta, or we just we just gotta be active. We gotta be doing something. And what Paul is saying is like, take a seat. Take a seat for a moment. Let me remind you of everything that Christ has done for you. Lay your efforts aside for a moment. Martha, stop cooking and come sit at my seat. Come sit at my feet for a moment. This is what Paul is saying. Be reminded of the blessings that you have in Christ, which you have only because of God's grace. This is why we must remember and understand why Ephesians 1 through 3 are written. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And so, let's look at some more spiritual blessings that we have. The first thing that we see in verse 7 is this. We have redemption in Christ. We have redemption in Christ. Look at verse 7 with me again. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his Grace. What exactly is redemption? 
Well, it means deliverance. It means paying off a ransom, purchasing our freedom. When you think about that word, what, what do you typically think about? Like redemption, that, that's a word that everybody uses from time to time. Believers, unbelievers, we all use this. I mean, just think about it. When you make a mistake and you get a second chance, what do you want to do? i got to redeem myself. Uh, recently, uh, I've started picking up, uh, picking up pickleball. Any pickleball fans out there? Uh, love it. The first time I had a chance to play, I think I probably shared this story with you guys, but the first time I played was this summer. And I don't know if you know anything about it, but the reality is like the average age of pickleball players is like 65. <laughs> and so I show up to um, Pringle Park right over here in Goshen, and I'm thinking, I am going to do laps around these people here. Like, I was with my son, and I was with a younger couple, but I was still part of the young crowd. And I'm thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to own this court. Five minutes in, we're playing, and all of a sudden, somebody, like, whacks me in the back of my calf with a ball. And, and I'm like, what in the world? I'm, not, I'm angry. I'm kneeling on the ground. I'm looking around like, who just did that to me? And then I realize there's no ball around. And what, is, what had happened is I pulled my calf muscle. <laughs> <laughs> and so now these 60-something people who I thought I was going to be doing laps around are asking me, do you need help, son? Like, you... I'm like, get away from me. No. Well, I had the chance to redeem myself this winter. We found out that uh, Beacon is open for uh, free pickleball playing. You shouldn't show up there, though, okay? There's already too many people, so stay home. And uh, by God's grace, I've redeemed myself. I, over the last month, no injuries. All right? I've redeemed myself. I've, I've taken, the, like, I am still a young guy. That's what I'm telling myself. I'm 44, so I'm still a young guy. And gosh darn it, I'm a pretty good pickleball player. I've redeemed myself. But, you know, here's the thing. When when it comes to redemption, the understanding starts with the fact that something's broken. When it comes to Christ, it all starts with us coming to the understanding that we have been separated from God because of our sin. But unlike pickleball, we can't redeem ourselves. We can't be made right with Christ by anything of our own doing. Our sin is a major problem that has completely separated us from, from God. And we see what redemption does for us. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Because of God's redemption, Christ's redemption for us on the cross, he has forgiven our trespasses. Because Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This was our state at birth. In sin did our mothers conceive us. Thus, we need to have our sins redeemed, which we understand that that cannot happen alone. That can't happen by anything that we can do in our own efforts. That's because redemption comes to us by grace. We see right here in the text, verse 7, according to the riches of his grace. How, do we, how, do, how have I defined grace? Grace is when we get 
what we don't deserve. But, but notice here, Paul could have just said, we, we are redeemed by his grace, but, but he steps beyond that because he wants you to understand that this grace is amazing. This is why we sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He redeemed us according to the riches of his grace. He abounds in grace. His grace is awesome. Now, now how did this transaction take place? How did redemption come? Did God just, just decide, you know what? I feel like redeeming people. You get redemption. You get redemption. It's like Oprah's favorite things, you know, have you ever watched that? You get redemption. That, that, that's, not how, that's not how it works. He doesn't just declare people redeemed. We must understand that redemption was not free. Redemption came at a cost. Verse 7 says, in him we have redemption through what? Through Christ's blood. Blood was shed so that we would be redeemed. The only reason why any of us can find redemption is because justice was served in the court of God by the sacrifice of his own perfect son. The son who lived the life that we could not live. The son who died the death that we deserved so that we could be redeemed in Christ. This is why we take communion. To remember, to recall, to be amazed once again at a sacrifice for us. Brothers and sisters, make no mistake. We are saved apart from good works. Our salvation is a gift, but it did not come without a cost. Jesus gave his life. He literally suffered for hours. Brutally beaten beyond recognition. Flesh hanging from his back. Nails dr driven into his wrists and in his feet so that we might be redeemed. Brothers and sisters, salvation is a free gift to us, but it came at great cost. We have redemption in Christ. Look at verse 8. We're going to look at the last part of verse 7 because it ties in in verse 8. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. The riches of his grace have been lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Here, here's what we see, and it's going to take a little bit to get to this point, but another spiritual gift that we have, another spiritual blessing is that we have unity in Christ. It's not complete yet, as we'll see, but we are experiencing unity in Christ. Notice in verse 8, he doesn't just give us a little grace. 
It's not like a little sprinkling of grace. He lavishes us with grace. He overflows our lives with grace. Grace abounds for us. I used to like Dairy Queen. And I, like, I used to love blizzards. But the last few times I went there, I, I wonder, like, did, did you know I said Reese's Cups? I would like to be in there. <laughs> it's like... The recession has hit, or the, not the recession, the, like, inflation has led us to have, like, hardly any top, like, Dairy Queen hardly puts anything anymore. I, I'm done. I don't want a sprinkling of Reese's in my blizzard. And so, Culver's, you are mine. I'm a Culver's guy. Because they lavish you with fixing. Those concrete mixers, chocolate, frozen custard, not ice cream, with Reese's and cookie dough, and they... Do not leave you wanting. They lavish you with that. That's the kind of frozen custard I want. And that's God's grace for us. He lavishes his grace over us. He overflows it like a three-year-old pouring milk into a cereal bowl where it spills over the side, except God knows what he's doing. He lavishes us with his grace. In abundance, it overflows. We read this in Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. David understood that he was receiving blessing upon blessing from God, even despite being in the presence of enemies. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God lavishes his grace on us. His grace, verse 8, continues, which he lavished on us, is given to us in all wisdom and insights. Like, he doesn't just tell us something and then leave us to figure it out. He gives us wisdom and insight to understand. This week, we were trying to do some research, we have some health issues, nothing major, but like, you ever just have like things that just don't make sense, like why does this keep happening? And so Nikki uh, stumbled upon a video and watching this video and it's like, man, this, this, is, this actually sounds very similar to what the things that we're dealing with. And, and the, right at the beginning, it's like, hey, follow along with me, I'll give you five steps you can take to see if this is your problem. So it's like, okay, great. And then, of course, if you ever watch these videos and you get to the end and there's nothing, and it leaves you with a sign-up, hey, sign up for a free coaching. And so, okay, fine, we'll do a free, one free coaching thing. And you do a survey during it, and part of the survey is, like, are you willing to spend money on this? And we're like, no, we just, we just want to figure out, like, what, what it is. We just want to figure out, like, it, could this be something that we want to go further into? And so fill out the survey, and then we get an email response back, like, sorry, this just isn't going to work. For us, basically, like, you're not willing to pay, I'm not willing to give anything. Well, you promised that you were going to do that. You, you promised wisdom and insight to my situation. Well, praise God, that's not how he treats us. He doesn't leave us wondering how to understand this. He, he gives us what we need through his word. He gives us wisdom and understanding so that we can understand and grasp the mysteries of his word. And we see here, God is revealing a mystery. And we see that throughout Scripture. Even in Ephesians 5, we'll get to the point where there's mystery in marriage. Where the mystery re re refers to Christ loving the church. That's how 
Husbands are to love their wives. Marriage is to reflect the picture of Christ loving his church. It's a mystery. And here we have another mystery in chapter 1. What what is that mystery? First of all, we see that it's not something that will be fully seen. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. So this is not something that we're going to experience the full ramifications of. But when Christ returns and he makes all things new again, then we will have this fullness of unity. We will have this united to one another where there will be no more hindrances. No more issues that cause broken relationships to come about. No more issues between church and church fighting over many times doctrine that just doesn't matter in the spectrum of eternity. Don't you long for that? Don't you long to be in relationship with others where you're not struggling with the other sins? Where you're not always frustrated with other people that lead you to to be, have br- all these broken relationships. I, I, I long for the fullness of unity to take place. But we're tasting it, right? This morning, we were gathering together. And for so many of you, I've had such great unity amongst you. Why is there unity? It's because of Christ and what he's done. I mean, most of you, I didn't know four years ago. But here we are this morning, and many of you have lived life in small group, men's group, praying together Sunday mornings, talking and meeting throughout the week, unity that we have in Christ. I mean, you ever met somebody who couldn't be more opposite than you? And then you sit there and just like thank the Lord that you have unity because of Christ. The only reason why I'm married to Nikki is because of Christ. I was a believer, she was a believer, and people brought us together. Otherwise, we never would have known each other. And in May, we'll celebrate 20 years of unified marriage. Like we taste and see, and we've tasted a little bit of this unity that God promises. But because of his redemption, one gift that we have is we get to experience some of it, and we will get to experience it to its fullest one day. You know, if there's... One thing, though, that troubles me in light of this is is how disunified small C churches are. You ever ever see that? Like, you ever just grieve the fact that we have so many different churches? And it's not, like, I I have pastors that I'm friends with, but, but a lot of times there's like this, you're on my turf. Like, back off. This is... Not, not everybody, but there, there is that sense. And there's, this, there's also like this, this uh, oh, I, I'm smarter than you. Our theology is better than you, so therefore I'm going to look down on you. And I'm going to not want to have fellowship with you at all because of you believe something that really oftentimes is minute. I, I was uh, at a basketball tournament yesterday. I was talking with the, the lady who, our sons are friends, and, and she goes to a different church, and they believe different things than us. Not, not massive. We we believe in the essential things. We believe Christ is the only way to salvation. But there are other things that I just don't believe, that we don't teach at the church and, and don't believe them to be true. And yet, here we are having fellowship. And I found myself thinking of Ephesians and longing for the day when our eyes will be opened. And, and I think we'll be revealed of how foolish we were on earth. But like, finally, we'll see the truth for what it is. And we'll be rejoicing with 
brothers and sisters without any hindrance. Do you long for that as I do? That's what we have in Christ. So my question for you is, is are you pursuing unity at all costs? Are you pursuing unity for the sake of Christ, keeping Christ at the center with those who maybe you have broken relationships with? Now, I understand there, there are churches that are, that are teaching false doctrines that we should have nothing to do with. But I want to warn us that we, that we don't have this, like, thinking somehow we've got it all together with where our theology is because so-and-so agrees with it and so-and-so agrees with it, but that we would just be humble and hold it with open hands. But I think we're going to come to find out nobody's got this thing nailed. Are you striving for unity to the best of your ability? In Christ, we have unity. Look at verse 11. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Here's the, the last thing that we see in light of spiritual blessings is we receive the Holy Spirit in Christ. We have been given this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit in Christ. Before we get that there, there though there's, there's, a, there's a lot to, to unpack here. There's a lot going on here. First of all, verse 11 speaks of an inheritance that we have obtained. Well, what exactly is this inheritance? Well, ultimately, it's our, it's our salvation. When Jesus comes back and we get to see him face to face and be with him forever, this is our inheritance. We see that won't be complete until he returns, but that's why he's given us the Holy Spirit until he comes back. It's a guarantee, hey, this inheritance is coming to you, and so be ready for it. The inheritance is our salvation. Secondly, look at verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ. Who, who was the first to hope in Christ? He's speaking of the Jews. The chosen people of God. The Israelites. These were the first to hope in Christ. But here, here's the beauty. I look around and I... And I I'm pretty sure most of us are not Jewish. We're Gentiles. Because notice he goes on, because he's speaking to the Ephesians. This is a Gentile church. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth and believed in him, were sealed with the promise. See, the beauty of redemption is that it's for all people. All skin colors, all skin tone. That's why in heaven there will be every tribe, tongue, and nation kneeling before the throne of God, worshiping. Oh, I long for that day. We got a little taste of it when we had Pastor Luis come share. What a beautiful thing that was. But, but one day, we're all going to be worshiping together. We have unity because of Christ's redemption, because salvation is for all people. The first to hope in Christ were the Jews, but now it's been extended to the Gentiles which is basically, it's just non-Jewish people. 
And I, I want to point something out here, too, as well. First of all, remind me, what, what is the mission of our church? Why do we exist? Glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ, right? Let, let's, let's focus on the first part, because that really is the main thing, right? We, we could have stopped at, we exist to glorify God. Everything we do is for the glory of God. And I want you to know, that's not something that we like, thought a lot to think about. Like, we didn't come up with that. I, I, we're just not that creative. We, we see that understanding all throughout Scripture, and we see it here in the text. Look at verses 12 and 14. What similar phrase do you see in each of those verses? To the praise of his glory. That's our mission as believers. Live so that others will give praise and glory to God. Let me ask you, why did God save you? What was the ultimate reason for God rescuing you from your sin? Let's first of all, Declare what it is, what that is, it does not mean. He didn't save you ultimately so that you wouldn't have any more problems. He didn't rescue you to give you an easier life. He didn't pay the price for your sins so that you'd feel better about yourself. That's not why Jesus went on the cross. He wasn't thinking, oh man, I sure hope Ben thinks better of himself. I sure want him to have more confidence. Oh, I want his, all his problems to go away. That's not what was on Jesus' mind on ultimately when he was on the cross. Jesus went to the cross to please his Father. He saved us to bring glory to God. That's the ultimate reason. And, this, and that is how we are to live. And so when you drive home today... Do it to the praise of his glory. When people are going too slow because they forgot how to drive in the snow, drive to the glory of God. When people are going too fast because they think having four-wheel drive means they, they can go through any snow, they still slide on ice, still drive to the glory of God. Keep your finger down, okay? <laughs> Not that I've seen anybody do that here. Just as, you're, as you parent your children, do so to the praise of his glory. As you interact with your spouse and extended family and friends, other people that you may struggle with, do so to the praise of his glory. When you interact with him, are you able to say after you are done, praise be to God? Or are you reminded of, man, there was no Jesus in that. When you work when you go to work this, way, this week, work for his glory. When you eat this week, eat for the glory of God. When you sleep, sleep for his glory. Let everything you do be to the glory of God. Your entertainment choices. After watching a movie, after listening to music, can you at the end of that say, thank you, Lord, for that? And if not, maybe you need to evaluate. Am I really, do I really believe that? Or do I think going to church 
is God's time that I'm giving him, but everything else is me time. And I get to do how I want to because you know what? God saved me and so I can just live by grace, right? Grace, grace upon grace. God saved us and rescued us, poured out these blessings so that we would live to the praise of his glory. Let everything you do be to the glory of God. Why? Because he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. He loved you when you were unlovable. He declared you holy and blameless when you didn't live that way. And when you don't live that way all the time. He has redeemed you by paying the price for your sin. He has brought unity with other believers because where previously it was impossible and here's the best part of this, getting to our point is, he has not left us on our own with this. He has given us his Holy Spirit. Verse 13, at the point of our salvation, he sealed us with his Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our salvation. He didn't just rescue us and leave us alone. He doesn't give us commands to follow and then says, it's all on you now. I send a helper to you. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 16. And th this, I'm going to be honest with you, there are still times where this, this boggles my mind. And I ask myself, Jesus, can you be serious? Can you be serious with what you're saying here? You'll see what I mean in a minute. Like, how, how could Jesus think somehow sending the Spirit is the best thing for us? John 16, verse 4, I'm going to read the second half of verse 4. It says this, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to, to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So Jesus said, hey, look, I'm going, and where I'm going, you cannot come. So, of course, sorrow is going to fill their hearts. Like, what do you mean, Jesus? You've been everything to us. You've done some amazing things, and there's work to do. Did you see the mess of the people back there? I, you can't go. So, of course, they're filled with sorrow. And then, and then Jesus goes on to say, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. What? How can that be possible? You ever, you ever just have times where you're just like, man, Jesus... I wish you were right here. I could, just, I could just lay my head in your lap. I could feel your embrace. I could hear your voice. Let me remind you that The Chosen is a, is a show. And if you go to sleep thinking that's how Jesus sounds, then <laughs> he was Jewish. You wouldn't have understood him. So don't get caught up in that. Like, we don't have the physical Jesus like we'd want to. But Jesus is saying, you don't need that. I'm, I'm giving you something that's far better. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Here, here is the thing about Jesus. He understood his physical limitations at the, as he walked the earth. He understood that, listen, I'm, I'm here physically. It's better for me to go because then I can be with you at all times through my spirit. 
if, if I stay here and I'm the only presence that can help, then I am limited. You are limited to your to have my attention. But if I go, I send my spirit who will be with you at all times. And here's what the spirit does in our lives. Verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Like, the Holy Spirit just isn't there to be our little cuddly bear. Sometimes he brings the thunder. <laughs> but you know what? It's his loving kindness that leads us to repentance. It hurts, doesn't it? Have, have you ever, like, been struggling with something this past week even just got away for a little retreat because I just felt my heart kind of growing cold and was getting frustrated and uh, some anger towards my wife if, if that's okay for a pastor to admit and as I got away and as I sought the Lord the Holy Spirit was telling me not not it was an audible voice I've never heard the audible voice of God but he was telling me through my spirit Ben you're the problem I saw it. It's painful. That's God's grace. That's his mercy that leads you to repentance. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't just convict us of sin. He also points us to righteousness. He encourages us. Let's, let's read on. Verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. You ever, you ever find yourself like reading through scripture, and you're like, I, this doesn't make sense. I can't grasp what's going on. And you wrestle, and you pray, and then the light bulb comes on. Can I, can I just say that that's not because you're smart? God reveals your truth, his truth to you. It's his grace, it's his spirit doing that. He reveals his truth to us. But the spirit will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit is the gift that convicts, points us to righteousness, encourages us. You ever feel prompted to share a scripture or to reach out to somebody and share something with them, and it's exactly what they needed to hear? Or have you been on the receiving end of that, where a scripture is open to you, and it hits you right where you need to be? That's the Holy Spirit. That's what God's Spirit does for us as believers. This is a spiritual blessing in Christ. He's given us his Spirit. So how, how, a question we often ask ourselves is, how do I know if I'm saved? One way we know that we're saved is that we see the Spirit's work in our lives. We experience the conviction of God's word. We experience conviction of sin. We experience encouragement. We have a desire for his word. And th this is something where I say this not to judge, and I say this with like understanding we need to be careful here, but, but if you don't see the spirit working in your life, 
there are some serious questions for you to ask yourself. If you are dwelling within sin and you are totally fine with it, brothers and sisters, you, you may not have the Holy Spirit at all. And if you have no Holy Spirit, you have no salvation. Do you see the Spirit convicting you in your life? If you have no desire for his word, again, there are times where I don't desire his word, but the seasons never last. His mercies are due every morning. Eventually, those seasons come to an end, but if you find yourself in a season where you just have, you don't remember the last time you loved God's word, number one, it could be that you're just in a season of drift and you need to realign yourselves. But it also could be an opportunity for you to evaluate, perhaps you were never saved to begin with. But for those of you who have truly repented of your sins and placed your faith in Christ, you've been given this amazing gift. Lean into the Holy Spirit, which, which is not sitting down cross-legged with your hands like this or something weird. <laughs> it takes effort. Pursue the Lord. He's given us his word. His spirit speaks to us through his word. Be a student of the word. When you're running through a path and you can't understand it, this is when I ask the Lord, and this, we see this in Psalms where one of the psalmists says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. We need the Holy Spirit's work. Pursue him. We don't have to wonder if we are saved. The proof is in the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. So brothers and sisters in Christ who have repented of their sins and placed their faith in Christ, we are richly blessed. Amen? He chose you before the foundation of the world. You've been declared holy and blameless before him. You who were once not the people of God, who had no family, are now sons and daughters of the living God. He has brought you redemption through his son. You are redeemed. Your sins have been forgiven. In Christ, he has brought unity, and one day he will complete that unity. And brothers and sisters, remember he's given you a great gift in the Holy Spirit. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your redemption and your saving grace. May our hearts regularly sing hallelujah because of what you've done for us. You spared no expense for our pardon. And Lord, not, you didn't just give us a little nudge and then push us off and it was all up to us. Lord, you've given us the gift of your spirit. Lord, show us when we quench your spirit, show us when we are putting up walls. Let your loving kindness lead us to repentance. But God, encourage us in Christ. May we find great joy in our salvation this morning.
it's in Jesus' name we pray.